We're very happy this evening to welcome Jason to the community here at Hanum as a Anagarika. been on this journey towards joining the community for many years and so it's uh, particularly joyous to see him arrive and also this evening it's the uh, first Sunday of the month uh, this time the month of May and it's the occasion when we take a look at the Dhamma teaching on our Prasanka calendar page and contemplate together um, this theme. And quite fittingly, and on this occasion, the theme of renunciation, given that that's what Jason has just committed himself to, uh, the training in renunciation, and The photograph on that page also is of a uh, ordination at Amarawati, Sister Tejasa uh, from Singapore, uh, taking her Siddhadara precepts. Um, and the quote that is mentioned on the page there, a uh, teaching by Ajahn Chah, which says, The way of the forest masters is the way of renunciation. Even though it will challenge you to the very core, you should not give up this way of training. Mm. And the way of the forest masters is the way of renunciation. And um, Probably most people here are familiar with this uh, way of describing this tradition, the, the, the forest sangha tradition, and particularly with its uh, origins in, in Thailand and in the meditative tradition where um, right back to the time of the Buddha where it was encouraged that those who were uh, sincerely interested in the inner life and meditation and uh, the cultivation of the mind could retreat to quiet places and um, in Asia, at least in Southeast Asia that's uh, the forests and other places, like in Korea, it might be up in the mountains or uh, similarly with Tibet. And, but in the tradition that, uh, that this community comes from, it's, uh, it's the forests that, where you find the, uh, the meditators. And so the, the teachers of this tradition, those that we look up to, for example, for teachings... Uh, or the forest masters. Ajahn Shah is pointing out that the way of the forest masters is the way of renunciation. And, and it could be that um, sometimes uh, people talk about 
the Buddhist meditation practices and 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 they emphasize developing uh, samadhi or refined states of jhana or vipassana or the four foundations of mindfulness and these different ways of describing uh, various traditions and on this occasion Ajahn Chah is pointing out that the way of the forest masters is the way of renunciation and this is also similarly this small monastic community here and the, the family of monasteries that we have here in Europe that that Ajahn Sumaita established over the last 30 or so years. And there is a very strong emphasis on renunciation. And it's something that warrants some careful attention because it's, it's regularly misunderstood. People regularly recoil from the mention of the word renunciation and triggers um, feelings of uh, intimidation disinterest but this is one of the forces for transformation that the Buddha held up we call the ten parami the ten forces for transformation that that the Buddha highlighted and through his example and through his teachings over and over again pointed to these these ten qualities these ten forces that support the process of transformation one of them being renunciation and the first one, as we probably know, dana parami, generosity, sila parami, uh, uh, cultivation of precepts, uh, the virtue of integrity. And without these various uh, uh, forces uh, developed or functional, then the possibility for purification, the possibility of transformation of the raw material of of our confused consciousness, the possibilities are very limited. And so from the perspective of the Buddha's wisdom, you know, these are the things that he highlighted. These are really worth paying attention. There's lots of other things which he said you could get distracted by, but these ten things, these ten forces, are really worth honing down. And so on this occasion... and. Uh, contemplating the uh, Nekama Parami or renunciation and checking to see what is our understanding, what do we know what's involved there and why do people do it? I mean, why why is Jason giving up a, a good job and a nice apartment and lots of friends in London and coming to uh, do something like this? And, uh, or on that... Uh, the photo on the calendar page, Sister Tejasa from Singapore, and standing there, a particularly, I think, a particularly fine photo of somebody utterly unapologetically committed to taking up the renunciate training in the nuns' community in Amrawati there, upright, resolute, firm, at least to me it's a very beautiful sign of somebody who is orienting their life to something that they are convinced is truly worthwhile and that of course is a a beautiful thing and so what do we understand by it and and is it the case that we we need to be intimidated by the uh, encouragement to cultivate renunciation let's remember that the Buddha 
all the Buddha's teachings, everything the Buddha ever taught was about increasing well-being. The Buddha didn't teach anything about feeling guilty or miserable or punishing ourselves. It's all about how to move towards the realization of self-existent perfect contentment, uncompromisable wisdom and compassion. Everything the Buddha taught is in the service of realization of that. And so surely also this this training and renunciation needs to be viewed uh, in that spirit, uh, in that frame of reference. And if we think about renunciation, what is it? Well, certainly to, it's about being able to say no. Being able to say no at the right time in the right way. Renouncing, giving up, letting go of, surrendering, putting down at the right way in the right time. Cultivating it, it means that we need to put a particular effort into it and to think about it very carefully. In my own contemplation on renunciation, I'm often my mind often goes to towards thinking about what happens with the stages of development for like bringing up children. Yeah. There's a very important stage. Those of you that are parents will probably know about the terrible twos. And that's, I'm told that's what it's called. When children just say no to everything. And if you don't understand what's going on, you can become very annoyed with these kind of little brats, you know. No, I'm not going to eat. No, I'm not going to bed. No, I'm not going to be quiet. No, I'm not going to sit down. From one perspective, why is it, what's going wrong with this kid? He's got a problem. At that stage of development, that child is learning to exercise the ability to set boundaries, the ability to say no. And if they don't transit that stage of development in a good enough way, it can lead to some serious difficulties, issues later on in life, the relationship with boundaries and getting themselves into trouble. And It's very important that a child is allowed to get to know their ability to say no. They need to experiment with it. Uh, you need to feel the power of they can say no and, and to get to know the consequences of saying no or not saying no. Uh, also, uh, the other side of it is the, the job that parents have in saying no to the children. It's also worth uh, considering how when that doesn't happen in a good enough way where you know, parents, for whatever reason... Uh, maybe being manipulated by the children or they're not familiar with how important it is. Sometimes parents don't stop to consider how essential it is that children get the message. If you don't say no to them, then they end up being disadvantaged 
You know, it's one of the all of us would be aware that we can't always get what we want out of life, and and we need to be able to not get what we want and still be okay. If we can't not get what we want without stamping our feet, well, that's very adolescent, really, isn't it? So, so that's like nobody really likes somebody who getting around as if they're entitled to get what they want all the time. So uh, important, also important stage of development for parents to somehow communicate to this little person that, you know, if you want to get what you want, you know, there's a corresponding need to accept responsibility. You know, rights and responsibilities go together. You, know, you, you can have what you want, but there's also an increased responsibility. That's a message that needs to be communicated. And so there's a training, just as there is for uh, children growing up. There's a training, there's, a, there's lessons to be learned on the spiritual dimension, on the level of cultivating consciousness. Similarly, there's a training. There's a training to be done. And just because we perhaps don't necessarily like it doesn't mean to say that we shouldn't do it. I recently went to see the physiotherapist at our GP clinic and my deteriorating walking equipment, my knees and ankle and hip, they're not in a great state. And this physiotherapist gives me a whole series of exercises and print out sheets of standing exercises, exercises for lying on my back, exercises for lying on my front, exercises for lying on my side. And, you know, what a chore. I think I'm thoroughly unattractive. And I really don't want to. The honest truth is I'm not doing all of them. I, I try to do some of them. I don't like doing them. That's the truth. But guess what? It's good for me to do them. It's really good if I could do those exercises you know, regularly, diligently, mindfully. You know, there's benefit. The physiotherapist spent many years learning, training, and was giving me some helpful information. And Well, likewise, the Buddha pointed out that training and renunciation, being able to say no at the right way and the right time, is really helpful. If we can't do it, then we're disadvantaged. You know, like the the wild energy that we all experience from time to time, we call indignation. How dare you not show me respect? Or or, craving for food that we know we don't really need. What are we going to do with that? The wild, untamed passions, if we're not careful, can create a lot of suffering. So it's for the purpose of realization of freedom from suffering that the Buddha pointed out and the benefit of nekama parami or the cultivation of renunciation. It's not for reasons of somehow burnishing our credentials and, and becoming more conceited than we are already, thinking we're superior to other people. Mm. That would be an abuse of the spiritual process. This process of cultivating the capacity for saying no 
at the right time, the right way, is so that we can say yes responsibly. Just as with children growing up, they can't have a really responsible relationship to life if they've never come to a recognition of their ability to say no. So for us, likewise, to really contemplate how essential it is to have a conscious relationship with this ability. And how do we do that? So how do we go about cultivating? What can Jason look forward to cultivating for the rest of his life? What is this training about in practice? Well, it's about trial and error. We experiment. So the training in renunciation is not an intellectual exercise. We can apply ourselves to intellectual exercises offered us by way of the conceptual presentation of Buddhist teachings. We can tie ourselves up in knots or we can undo the tangles that we get ourselves into by thinking about Buddhist concepts. And there's a place to discipline our thinking and become skilled in our conceptual understanding. But no amount of conceptual understanding is going to help us deal with passionate indignation and rage when we get offended by somebody. Our hurt feelings are not going to be dealt with because we have a clear understanding of the Paticca Samapada. The 12 lengths of dependent origination are worth contemplating, but the reality of anger or anxiety or doubt or fear require that we have a whole different set of Skills, embodied skills. So there's training in renunciation. Yes, we need to have a, uh, an accurate mental perspective, an accurate set of views on the subject, but then we apply ourselves. And how do we apply ourselves? Well, what we've been doing this evening in meditation is cultivating renunciation. We're sitting still for... 30 minutes or so and the mind wanders off starts dreaming about this or that and and then we remember what do we do? we renounce that impulse to allow the mind to wander we come back to the meditation object whether it's the body posture sitting upright whether it's uh, the breathing sound of silence, contemplating a Dhamma theme, whatever our object of meditation, we begin again. And those of us who have been engaged in this particular exercise for a while are already well familiar with how it takes a willingness to do that. If the mind wanders and starts dreaming about something, we can get upset about it and complain and say, I'm hopeless at my meditation, but that doesn't help. Or we can just follow the impulse and let it wander and and think, well, I shouldn't be too hard on myself. I'll just sit here and dream. But 
We're not going to do that for very long because it doesn't bring any real benefit. Yeah. We experiment with how much restraint, how do we apply the right kind of effort. Yeah. Any of you who might have been involved in, in training animals, you know, training a horse or training a dog, you realize you, know, you, you make the wrong kind of effort, you can hurt the animal. You don't make any effort, and then they, they hurt you. Yeah. The right kind of effort. How do we discover the right kind of effort? Well, we do it. We give ourselves to it with mindfulness, with attention, with interest, and then we experiment. And likewise, in other areas, we might decide we could exercise some, some renunciation. Maybe we, somebody who you know, has some heedless eating habits and... So how do we apply the right kind of effort so as we have a more comfortable relationship to food? Maybe we choose to fast one day a week or one day a month or maybe just miss one meal one day a month. We experiment. This is not not a philosophy that we believe in. This is not a religious belief system that we're enforcing on ourselves to make ourselves more acceptable. But this is an experiment to see, can we frustrate that impulse of craving, of desire, in a skillful way so as to be able to contain it and investigate it? Now, one option is we can just follow our conditioned desires and eat as much and talk as much and sleep as much and dream as much as we want but probably we've done enough of that and it wasn't very productive that's the way of indulgence the way of denial or the way of repression is to get overly rigid and overly controlling and overly demanding that we change and become and be how we think we should be and that throws us way out of balance and that hurts Hmm. There's an in-between perspective, and the Buddha called the middle way, where there's neither indulging nor denying. And that's what we're interested in, how to realize that perspective, that wise perspective, whereby we can inhibit the forces of craving out of interest, inhibit these forces of craving, not out of judgment, not out of compulsive controlling, but out of interest to say, what is it that I am doing in the moment that is turning life into suffering? Yeah. Life is not suffering. There are some people who misunderstand Buddha's teachings. Uh, uh, Buddha teaches that life is suffering. Well, the Buddha was freed from suffering, but that was well before he was dead. I mean, you, it's not like you've got to die before you're free from suffering. Yeah. It's a great gift of the Buddha's Realization is there can be freedom from suffering here and now if there's real wisdom. So it's for this purpose that we're encouraged to cultivate renunciation, the ability to say no in a sensitive, mindful way so that we're able to inhibit our conditioned reactions to indulge or deny. Those two extremes... uh, are unproductive. 
The perspective that the Buddha was advocating is he called the middle way, you know, that ability to contain the wildness, not try and get rid of it, you know, but contain it so as to be able to steady the mind with its intensity and investigate. And from that perspective, be able to see where we're doing, what we're doing, when we're doing that extra activity that turns life into suffering. So too much effort and we go into repression and denial and judgment. Too much indulgence and we just the mind just goes into dreaming and, and whether it's positive dreaming and beautiful fantasies or negative dreaming and blaming and criticizing, complaining about why I'm such a victim and why life is so unfair and self-indulgent and misery. With the right amount of effort, there's a good chance that we'll realize a very organic, balanced form of confidence and clarity. Confidence and clarity is born out of a commitment to cultivate renunciation. So renunciation is not about judging life or giving ourselves a hard time. It's coming into a conscious relationship with life. One that leads naturally to confidence and strength and clarity and increased commitment. I was talking recently to uh, one of the senior nuns at um, one of our monasteries down south and she's responsible for training uh, some of the junior nuns and she was telling me how these days she finds it very easy just to speak very straight with these young women who are in the process of joining the community and taking up the training precepts and and she says, she points out to them, she said, that when you're experiencing a moment of suffering, you want to be able to hold it as if you're holding a piece of gold. And I really like the way she said that. I've known this nun for, for many years and, and, and I'm aware that she can only talk like that because of her years of experience, her years of experimentation with making the right amount of effort, too much, too little, too much, too little, until you start to approach a place where, as I was saying, a, a natural level of confidence and clarity emerges. And that's a wonderful thing that she's got to share there. You know, she's speaking from experience, and the nuns that live with her will benefit from that. So this effort that we make in the direction of cultivating renunciation needs to be informed by wise reflection. We're not just reacting to our impulses. Our impulses maybe cause us suffering, and so we go from one extreme to the other. That's not it. We need to reflect on what is the right kind of effort, the right 
kind of renunciation. Or, as I was saying earlier, the right kind of surrender. Surrendering me and my way when we're compulsively reacting according to what we like and dislike, indulging and denying, then we're not really able to meet life as it impacts us and investigate it. So if we're interested in seeing beyond our conditioning, seeing beyond the way things merely appear to be on the surface, with all our unreasonable reactions and the difficulties that we cause ourselves, if we're interested in seeing beyond that, then this capacity of heart, this potential of being able to surrender my way so that we can meet the experience as it is. Like if we're faced with sadness, can we meet sadness without either indulging in it and becoming overwhelmed and lost in sadness and possibly depressed or denying sadness and locking it away in unawareness which then compromises life are we able to really meet sadness in the whole body mind and feel this is sadness even if the tears are flowing, to feel the tears, to feel the sadness without becoming sad, without becoming lost in sadness. Can we do that? What strength, what ability is needed to be able to meet sadness and learn from what sadness has to teach us? Humiliation. If you feel utterly humiliated, do we have the strength, do we have the confidence, do we have the clarity to be able to meet the experience of utter humiliation, feel it in the whole body-mind, and learn the lesson. You know, basic Buddhist teaching, mindfulness of suffering leads to freedom from suffering. But if we're not able to really meet the suffering as it is, without indulging or denying, then the chances are, unfortunately, we won't get the message. So because we're interested in getting the message, we need to find ways of encouraging ourselves. Just because we don't want to do the exercises that the physiotherapist or the doctor tells us to do doesn't mean to say we shouldn't be doing them. Just because we perhaps find uh, discussions on renunciation or or the Buddha's teachings on renunciation unappealing or, or on the initial level unattractive doesn't mean to say that we shouldn't be paying attention to them. We need to go beyond our initial reactions. So on this occasion, uh, uh, witnessing what Jason is doing and making this commitment to the renunciate training, uh, using this as an inspiration to encourage us all. This business of renunciation is not just for forest-dwelling meditation masters. It's something the Buddha pointed out as helpful, beneficial for everybody in our own way, you know, finding out for ourselves the right amount. So tonight Jason is taking his commitment to the spiritual life to a new level, a new level of intentional frustration. He's not joining the monastery to have a picnic. 
So I hope on this occasion that their example is an inspiration to all of us and certainly wish Jason well on his journey. Here we